Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today the question that matters is how do we reach out with the gospel to people who say they have no faith whatsoever, people who might be considered nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And I'm delighted to have as my conversation partner, Ben Hine, a good friend of mine, and a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Indianapolis. Ben, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thanks, Randy. It's good to be here. I, I should tell our listeners, um, uh, Ben was a, a seminary student uh, in a class that I taught on evangelism at Reformed Theological Seminary, and remarkably, he he stayed awake the whole time. It was it was really delightful, and um, I really was thrilled to get to know him. And uh, he and I have developed a really great friendship since that time. Since he got over the shock of the grade that I gave him, whatever that grade was, I don't remember what it was, but it was good. It was, it was good. good. Okay, good yeah. to hear. That's that's good. He's still smiling. Um, but I but uh, Ben has had a, a great uh, number of ministry opportunities where he has uh, interacted with um, uh, uh, people who would say they've they've walked away from the faith or they they never did have faith and they identify themselves as nuns. And so I really I value his perspective on this uh, topic. Um, we should begin with just sort of a um, a statistical reality. Um, there is a very significant rising number of people who, when they are asked what religion do they have, they say none at all. They don't have any uh, uh, faith. And this is statistically solid and very significant. And lots of sociologists and people who study religion and American culture are saying this is something we really need to pay attention to. So, Ben, what have you heard about this trend, and how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, uh, we can definitely just look at the numbers, um, whether it's Pew Research or I think uh, Ryan Burge is someone we've talked about who has done some really good work on this. And it seems like if we're going to go from a purely numbers perspective, um, you know, the number is somewhere around 28 to 30 percent of, I think, the U.S. population, adult population now identifying uh, this way. Uh, as a nun, but um, if you look by generation, you know, that's going to be lower in the baby boomers than it is in Gen Z. And so I don't have an exact figure in front of me, but I think it may be as high as, you know, 40% mm -hmm. in Gen mm -hmm. Z. And I don't know what it would then be for baby boomer, but obviously much higher in the younger population than in the um, older population. Right. Yeah. You mentioned Ryan Burge's book. It's called The Nuns, Where They Came From, Who They Are, and Where They Are Going. And um, he's a professor of political science and um, really understands about societal trends. And um, uh, he has several charts in his book with, again, Pew Research and other uh, documentation that uh, the percentage of people who are still faithful to the Catholic faith it has decreased a bit. People who are uh, evangelical have decreased a bit. People in uh, mainline Protestant churches have decreased dramatically. Yeah. Um, Jewish and other faiths are about the same, but on these same charts, the number, the 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 line of the increase of nuns is dramatically different. Um, it's going yeah. up and going up rapidly and going up among a younger audience. So. Yeah. 
um, we, we should not ignore this trend, right. but, but we shouldn't be horrified by it. I mean, you know, I, um, <laughs> we want to talk today about how do we, how do we interact with people like this? And it's probably really bad to begin with. You're a nun. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't think that's wise. No. That's so, wise. so tell me about some of your experiences with, uh, with this yeah. group of people. Yeah, I think um, one one way too, maybe to kind of bridge the conversation, is we can maybe have a tendency uh, I've seen to to apply a stereotype to this group of people, and so for example, there may be um, I've definitely experienced this where we stereotype as those who are not Christians, those who are not religious, but they are um, antagonistic atheists who are drawing hard lines in the sand towards religious faith and that sort of thing. I don't think that's the case. I don't think the statistics bear that out. I don't think my experience bears that out. One thing that I appreciated about Burge's research is when he um, brings in some other, you know, um, some other research into the, the conversation, he kind of shows that really you only have about 5% identifying as atheist, 5% as agnostic, and then you roughly have 20 plus percent, depending on the generation. That's really just nothing in particular. Uh, right. And so this idea that everyone we encounter who's not Christian is going to be, let's say, hostile to the faith or having made some firm decision of I'm not going to be Christian. I don't think that's true. I think you have um, a number of people who are just uncertain, um, who are sort of walking through life, not really sure what they believe. They've heard Christians believe that. They've heard that other people believe this and they just really haven't uh, landed in one one place or another. Um, and I also think one thing that's been a significant uh, something I've learned in my experience is you have some folks who are identifying as none as nothing in particular because that's their family of origin. I think that's more and more the case uh, in in the younger generation, right? And so uh, as families, let's say millennials or Gen X, uh, as they are uh, becoming irreligious, their children are going to be raised as not as not being religious. But then you also have others who uh, become nuns by choice, right? They, they make a choice. They walk away from their faith community. And how we respond to either one of those groups of people, I think, is significantly different. Some are going to have a background with religion, some, some are not. And so I think those are some other categories um, that we can bring into the conversation of how do we approach this, this group of people. Mm. Well, you know, I mean, this is a really important thing, I think, in evangelism and discipleship and connecting with people. Um, we need to be really, really careful that when when we understand that somebody might fit into a certain category, we should not, we must not assume, well, that, that, that they're all the same, that all right. nuns are the same, that all millennials are the same. I mean, right. Um, all baby boomers are the same. I hope that that's not true because I'm in that category. And man, some of the stereotypes I hear is, whew. Um, I, and um, uh, so, so you know, uh, this, this is especially important in apologetics and evangelism. We, we study and learn about what people believe, but then we yeah. need to be really, really good conversationalists and draw out and find out what this individual person we're talking to believes and holds dear and what really are the big deals in their life? Um, yeah. when, when I've done seminars on Jewish evangelism, okay, so Christians learn what Jewish people believe. Yeah, but you you really should talk to the individual Jewish person and find out exactly what they believe. And uh, 
And and you've helped me understand or appreciate that because you've you've told me that not all nuns are the same. I mean, even even just in the categories you just said, by birth or by choice, even yeah. within that, there's probably infinite variety. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, my experience too has been there. Really, is um, some differences along generational lines that you kind of brought up. I mean, I'm not at all trying to say that there aren't you know really committed atheists in the Gen Z generation, that hasn't been by and large my experience um, in interactions with Gen Z, um, uh, those in their like 20s and 30s who, who are not, who are not Christians. I can't really remember the last time I had a conversation with a committed atheist that was um, in that category. The committed atheists I tend to talk to tend to be older, Gen X, baby boomer, um, who, who um, has made some intentional decision, you know, to, to to be atheist, to be agnostic. And so, yeah, we can assume everyone's the same and to assume um, that the people we're encountering all hold the same, um, hold the same beliefs, have the same story, have the same experience, have the same perceptions about religion. We just can't assume that anymore. Yeah. Good, good, good. All right. Let's, let's just go down this rabbit trail just for a short bit. This isn't, this isn't going to be the main thing of our conversation, but I'm always fascinated with the fact that when, when you lived here in the, in the DC area, um, you got involved in a um, in a free thinkers group of skeptics yeah. or atheists, and you you were the uh, were you the only uh, theist in the in the room? Um, definitely the only Christian. There may um, from time to time have been another theist walking in to join the conversation, but uh, by and large, the only Christian for sure. Um, and and just so so first uh, so the, the, the there are these organized groups i mean this what this wasn't yeah. just some informal gathering this was they had a presence on the internet and they met for meetings and gathered yeah. for meals and you went to a whole bunch of these things just tell us a little bit about that experience and what were some of the things you learned from that yeah it was um it was one of the most formative experiences of my life really one of the best experiences of my life if i can be quite honest um Give credit where credit is due. Uh, I joined the Free Thinkers group because my heart was pricked uh, in our evangelism. Oh, nice uh, going. Sure. Class. Okay. So, yeah, nice save, right? Um, yeah, I mean, again, people might hear this as, oh, you know, you were the lone Christian uh, in an atheist group. Uh, that must have been really hard and, and all that. Frankly, it wasn't. It was really natural. It was really uh, kind. I, I had a really warm experience. Some of the, the kindest people I've, I've met. Yeah, you know, as an adult was was in this group, and and so it really was a, a great experience, and I was able to come into that because, um, you know, this group really, um, their kind of core value was seeking truth, and many of them had a background where they felt like Christianity didn't, wasn't you know intellectually stimulating, wasn't uh, a pursuit of truth. Um, but I was kind of able to come in and, and say, you know, my experience has been I found truth uh, by converting to Christianity. It has given me a picture of the world. It's given me a hunger to, to learn about the world and to know, um, you know, to pursue questions that matter. And so I would kind of flip the script a little bit when I would meet folks there and say, you know, you feel like intellectual truth and pursuit of knowledge comes by leaving religion. I actually found those things by joining religion by becoming a Christian. Yeah. And so it was on that, you know, we, we maybe disagree about our answers to the questions, but we agreed that the questions themselves were important. Mm. And that kind of core agreement really just 
bore out some really fruitful friendship and really fruitful conversations and, and meaningful opportunities to share the gospel and to hear what other people believe. And I couldn't say enough positive about it. I mean, it was just really, uh, I know it's not for everybody. I also wouldn't recommend we go flood the atheist groups and, and you know, sort of take <laughs> over those spaces. Um, but my experience in that, in that space for three or four years was really, really positive, really fruitful. Now, as I'm remembering it, you didn't come to faith until your uh, mid twenties or uh, late twenties. Is that right? And um, would you have um, maybe not used these words, but would you have uh, called yourself a nun or nothing in particular before yeah. that time? Yeah, I think so. So I, I became a Christian in 2010, just a, a couple of years after graduating college. Um, you know, I'm. I'm in my mid thirties now. Right. So I don't qualify as Gen Z. I don't fit this uh, kind of the, maybe the major category for what we see as deconstructing um, and so on. But in some ways that was my story. I had some experience with Christianity growing up. Um, it didn't, uh, you know, just spare all the details. It didn't seem relevant. No one reached out to me during my hard struggles with life. And so, yeah, by the time I got to college, I, I had these perceptions of what Christians thought, um, didn't really think it was relevant or important to me. And then that all changed, you know, after college, uh, making some Christian friends who kind of invited me in to study the Bible and to come to church with them. And obviously that changed and now I'm a pastor. Um, but yeah, I, going through that experience myself allowed me, I think, to really build a bridge with folks in this community and uh, to engage them on, um, for lack of a better word, like on their turf, right? On, on where they're at, what they believe, listen to them, you know, enter into their story rather than asking them to engage kind of where I'm at and, and on, on what I think. So, yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I subscribe to a number of different newsletters and I read about what God is doing around the world. And frequently, repeatedly, I see and hear pleas for the need for discipleship all around the world. That is the crying need of our time. And that is the specific focus that God has placed on the C.S. Lewis Institute. So we're, we're so very grateful to be involved and have been for decades in something that could very well be the greatest need of our world today. So please consider uh, becoming a financial partner with us. It would be at the very core and central uh, centrality of what God is doing in our world today. You know, um, uh, as I've gotten to know you and listened to your story, I'm, I'm reminded um, uh, uh, not just your story of coming to faith, but also your experiences with interacting with people. You, you've really emphasized respecting the questions that people mm -hmm. ask, listening carefully. And I think that it's a very common error that a lot of Christians do of, of dismissing questions a little That's too right. quickly and, and dismissively or even disdainfully. Um, we, we need to listen carefully and hear the image of God in that person that's longing for connection to the supernatural, the transcendent, and respect that. Um, uh, one yeah. of the Proverbs says that, that it's a fool, does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own thoughts or his own ways. And I think we can be guilty of that pretty often. And um, you're trying to push us in this other direction of 
well, let's really listen to these questions and let's let's um, affirm that there are parts of their question that we probably share with them. We still, you know, yeah. um, so. Uh, yeah, that, I think I that's, that's right. Helpful. Yeah, I think um, we sometimes we want to be quickly dismissive or defensive. We, we think we need to come to the defense of the church or, you know, come to to the defense of Jesus or something like that, and uh, which I think is just a, uh, a faulty perspective and really to, yeah, to respect the question, to respect the real, often the pains and the wounds that are behind the question, right, from those who have had negative experiences with Christians or with Christianity um, and to meet them there in that space rather than, you know, trying to quickly dismiss or, or, or get defensive over it. Now, uh, before some of our listeners might say, well, this this sounds like Randy and Ben have come to agree on this and isn't that wonderful, but um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we would argue that we're basing this on scripture, that scripture yeah. would encourage us along these lines. So so give us some, some biblical support, uh, Pastor Ben. Yeah, I mean, some of the classic passages are you look at, this comes up in, in evangelistic apologetics conversation all the time, but you look at Paul, how Paul interacts with different groups of people, right? And so you have Paul in Acts 13 in the synagogue, um, very religious dialogue, right? Assuming, you know, going to the scriptures and, and the religious story of, of God's people and, and the people of Israel. Uh, compare that to um, Paul at, at Mars Hill, right? And being able to draw on the idols, uh, around him, the, the pagan religion, and, and starting in that in that space, right, and engaging on on their level. I think that's kind of a, a, a classic paradigm for really mm-hmm. being able to engage with people where they're at, right. And we're not we're not proposing a script. It's a it's not a one size fits all solution to engage with folks. Uh, but I think some other scriptures that have been particularly helpful for me in this cultural moment, where we're seeing so many young people in particularly walking away from Christianity or rejecting Christianity because of their perceptions and, and what they think we believe versus maybe what we actually believe. Um, and having had these negative experiences. Uh, so a couple of passages that, that have been fruitful for me to, to meditate on are first Thessalonians five fourteen, you know, specifically where it encourages us to uh, encourage the faint hearted and be patient with them all. Mm, good, good, and good. And thinking about, yeah, that, that's faint-hearted is a pretty good descriptor for for a lot of people today, particularly a lot of young people, right, who are uncertain about life's big questions, to be encourage them, to be patient with them. Uh, Jude 22 says to have mercy on those who doubt. Mm. Um, the compassion, you know, to think about what does it look like to have compassion in conversation well, with those who are just going through a lot and have a lot of questions and, and aren't quite sure what they believe anymore. Um, and lastly, I, I've also been um, really struck by Jesus's compassion in the Gospels when he looks out at the crowds as those who are like sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And it's really sort of a uh, almost a, a judgment on the religious leaders that they, they are not caring for for the people, um, people in their, in their community. Right. They're not caring for uh, God's people. Uh, a recent study, uh, Springtide Research, um, that came out. Uh, I don't know much about this group, and I'm still working through all their findings, but they, they do a, a yearly study on the state of religion and, and religious beliefs in young people. And they found that in the first year of the pandemic, which I, I suppose would be 2020, that only 10% of young people said their religious leader uh, looked, reached out to them. 
I just thought I just I read that and I just thought like what what is happening? Hmm. You know, where where have we dropped the ball in our churches where we're just not caring for the people who are already here, let alone reaching the ones who who aren't here yet? And so when I think about again Jesus's compassion, there are, I think there's a lot of young people in particular today who who are like sheep without a shepherd, who haven't been cared for, and trying to bring that into the conversation with them and to acknowledge that yeah that that's really hard. Whatever your experience is, that's not great. Hmm. Um, and we, we need to do better. Yeah. You know, to care for you. And I, I find myself regularly praying and ask God to give me that compassion for people because I can't manufacture it. Um, okay. Now I, I can help um, by reflecting on how gracious God has been to me, how, how amazing the gospel has been to invade my life and make me a different person. And sometimes it's very helpful for me to look back and think, all right, what was I like before I was a Christian? And where would I be today if God hadn't come into my life? Oh my, that's a, that's a disturbing picture. And I need to allow it to disturb me so that I do have compassion on people. But quite often it's, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you give me a love for lost people? And, yeah. uh, and and that's at the very heart of God's will for our lives. So we know he will answer that prayer. Um, yeah. So, um, well, this is good reminders, good reminders. But so let's, let's turn it now a little bit more of, so who are these people and how do we talk to them? Um, yeah. I'm going to put in the show notes a reference to another book that um, um, I, I just recently finished and I found it just um, fascinating and disturbing. Um, it's mm. called Strange Rites, R-I-T-E-S, New Religions for a Godless World by Tara Isabella Burton. And what she's saying in this book with a tremendous amount of research, she's, she's um, a, a good researcher and a great writer, is that um, among these people who say they have no religion or they're nuns or nothing in particular, or they're spiritual but not religious, um, they're amazingly religious. They're really into their soul cycle class, or they're really into social justice or other political causes, or or they're really into Harry Potter, or they're really into being very, very healthy in a very religious kind of way. And so, uh, I mean, you could read that book and just be horrified and think, oh my goodness, what has happened to us? But we could also look at it and say, um, what a marvelous opportunity. People are looking for something outside themselves, something transcendent to connect them to something bigger. And for yeah. those people, the gospel is really, really good news. Absolutely. I, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, uh, we, we're mandated by the C.S. Lewis Institute to quote C.S. Lewis in every one of these podcasts. So now we've come to that part where I have to. Um, not really. But um, there was one place where Lewis remarked, I think this was in a letter, um, but he said, or maybe in an essay, I don't remember, but he said, um, when grave persons express their fear that England is relapsing into paganism, I am tempted to reply, Oh, would that she were. <laughs> I wish it was true that it was she was pagan. Because he says, the pagan, as history shows, is a person eminently convertible to Christianity. 
They're essentially pre-Christian, and he and he says they actually have more in common with Christianity than the the hard-boiled atheist or very very secular materialist. And yeah. so, I mean, I I read um, uh, Tara's book and thought um, th- this is a whole new opportunity for us and a really great one to find out, okay, what are the big deals for people and say, yeah, I see why you are looking for connection and community or transcendent or beauty or or drama because God made us to connect in a deep way with him. So yeah. anyway, I'm yeah. ranting and raving and I'm not letting yeah, you talk. No, Sorry. Yeah. Well, I I want to make sure we hit our C.S. Lewis quota for the podcast. And so <laughs> I had, been, I wanted to bring up there too, and just sort of build on what you're saying. I think he, um, I think he modeled this really well in the radio broadcast, right? Which mm-hmm. became, um, became mere Christianity, which is he knew the questions and the uh, fears and the anxieties and sort of where people were at because he was one of them. Yes. Right? And he was able to enter into, and so you don't really have, uh, when you look at the radio broadcast and mere Christianity, it's not this pure um, presentation of, of statements that you need to ascend to, right, to be a Christian. It's woven in the, this context of people who are at, at war and anxious and not sure what, what is right and wrong and, and, and what is, like, what's happening to the world right now. You, you sense that woven into his material, uh, being able to, to know where, um, yes, yeah, so he knew his audience. He knew the people because he was one of them. And, and so what, what are the ways in which we can um, do that in our conversation with folks, right? Um, we, we value these same things. We value community. We value justice. We value beauty. And how can we um, connect our story and our value of these things to the questions that people are asking is where, where can joy, where can beauty, where can justice, where can that really be found, right? We, we have our own experiences and our, um, that, that we can connect with. I, I would encourage our listeners that, you know, thinking through, for example, um, someone who would say they're deconstructing right now, right? Um, we not, might not have an experience of, of deconstructing and, and rethinking all of our faith beliefs. But I know many Christians who have uh, had to make the difficult decision, let's say, to, to leave their church right? Maybe because of a, a, convict, uh, a conviction, a change in belief. Um, they've, they've left their church or they've rethought core beliefs maybe about um, baptism or, or church government. They've had to, to, to realign themselves with, with new faith communities. That, those are hard, hard spaces for us to be in. I, you know, every Christian I know who's ever had to leave their church or, or made a decision to move knows that that's a super hard experience. Well, how much more so, right, um, when you're rethinking everything? And you're not even sure if you can be a part of a community anymore. And so we can take our experiences, our values, and I think bridge that for really fruitful conversations into um, the lives of these people who, yeah, still very religious in many ways and value value uh, everything that, that you said. And so it's not an impossible thing. I think there's a lot of hope, a lot of opportunity. And I think um, every Christian I know is equipped for this because we all have stories, right? We all have stories we can connect into the lives lives of others and we just encourage our listeners to take that step of faith to, to have those conversations are you a fisher of men uh do you want to be a fisher of men do you do you struggle with this call that jesus places on us to be fishers of men 
discipling others is also a significant part of that whole enterprise. And it's a way to abide in Christ. It's a way for us to know Christ more fully, become more like him and participate in his work of building his kingdom. So as we disciple, we become co-workers with Jesus. As he helps us mature, he allows us to help him mature others and nurture them towards reproduction and expanding of his kingdom. And so we have many free small group resources on our website, uh, many different things to help you in this discipleship process, both to grow as a disciple and to disciple others. So please check out cslewisinstitute.org slash products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to keep drawing out and to keep listening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking also, if someone shares with us about um, deconstructing their faith, they walked away from a certain faith, um, we, we can tend uh, in a knee-jerk kind of way to zoom in on a why question. Well, why did you do that? Or why, um, why did you leave that? Or, or, and um, eventually that may be part of our conversation, but maybe a better starting point of is what? Well, what, what, what has that been like? Um, what, what has that experience been like for you? How has this gone for you? How has that felt? And um, we, we tend to want to zoom in on doctrine. Okay, you used to believe this, but now you believe this. Well, here's why you should believe this. And yes, we, those must be included in the conversations eventually. But, yeah. but if we jump there first and negate, wow, that must have been hard or that must have been confusing or... Um, I, I read in um, uh, one uh, uh, book on evangelism, the, the, the value of using the, the phrase, uh, the word wonder. I, I wonder mm-hmm. why that is, or have you ever wondered why, or have you ever mm-hmm. wondered, um, you know, what, what is it that draws us to beautiful art or, or, or community or connection with people? I, I, I wonder why justice is such an important thing for us. And before jumping in with, well, here's how, here's what the Bible says, um, allowing people to feel the sense of wonder and almost confusion um, that the yeah. scriptures then can point to with clarity. Yeah. Yeah, I think wonder uh, is a great word. I would also encourage the power of silence hmm. in, in conversation. You know, I almost, I think many people who have had a, a bad experience with, a church or Christianity in the past are sort of loaded maybe to expect that we're going to be defensive or be quick to try and address the question or dismiss it. And to just hear the story or hear that this was my experience and to let that hang in the air and sort of communicate with our presence that I'm not going to run from what you just said. Mm. Um, I'm not going to quickly respond to what you just said. I'm processing what you just told me. Um, I, you know, I'm listen. I'm here with you. I'm listening to you in this moment. My wife and I have found, honestly, that that has been um, very powerful when we, you know, invite people over into our home and just sit across the dinner table and share a meal with them and just let them share their story and tell us what's happening and just to let that kind of hang in the air mm-hmm. for a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I think one guiding lesson that I've learned, uh, and I think this was certainly my experience in my conversion, was... Um, um, people are uncertain if there is a God who cares about them. 
Mm-hmm. Right? They're, they're uncertain if there is a God who is loving, who is kind, who cares about them. And if they have an experience with a Christian or a group of Christians who care and who are kind and who listen and, and take the time to respect them, they might really start to believe that there is a, there is a God, mm. that, 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 that these things Jesus said are really true. Um, and it has to, I think, so often just be in that space of, of um, genuine conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And care and compassion. Well said. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've heard about enough a, a number of your experiences with people coming over to your house and uh, these kinds of things and that that's why I uh I wanted to have you on the on the podcast. Yeah. You know, um I'm thinking also um a lot of people say they they use this phrase I'm I'm spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there was a period of time when that was just this cliche that people really hadn't thought through that much. So I, I did hear one time about there was this woman who she told some Christian friends when they asked her about her religion, she said, oh, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And they said, oh, well, like, what does that mean? What What do you mean by spiritual? And for her, it was this horrible realization of, oh, actually, I'm, I'm neither. I'm not spiritual or religious. But I think yeah. today... I think there's so so that's a good question, a very good question to ask. But I think today, I think a lot of people, again, if Tara Burton's book is right, if what Ryan Burge says about uh, the nuns is right, that there are a whole lot of people. They would say, "I'm spiritual, but not religious." And you'd say, "So tell me about that. What like what do you mean by spiritual?" And for them, there really is a whole lot of spirituality. Some of which would be very different than our Christian faith, but some may having some commonality or some ties in. Um, and so I, I think that's worth exploring, ra- certainly not dismissing as as just a cliche. Oh, ab- absolutely not. And people are going to use different words to express that. I, I think there's a, a, a desire and a hunger for um, transcendent, uh, you know, uh, something outside of ourselves. Uh, beauty and joy and meaning. I mean, I've even had um, some of my friends say things to me like this. They've said, you know, Ben, uh, I've heard it said that I have a hole in my heart that only God can fill. And to be honest, I really want what you have. Tell me how to get it. Oh my I don't, goodness. I don't, you know, I've, but, and I, and I try, you, you're sitting there and you're trying to express to them, well, you know, it's, it's faith in Christ and all that. And they're like, yeah, but I don't have that. But I still want what you have. Uh-huh. You know, there's this, there's a hunger, and I think it's an amazing opportunity uh, for the gospel to have some really wonderful conversations and to see people um, either return to the faith or believe for the first time. You know, I think it's a really fruitful um, time, and we should have a lot of hope and a lot of expectation for what God might be doing um, during this season. Yeah. Right? Good, good. Well, let me read one little bit from Tara Burton's book, and then I'm going to give you a, a chance to say uh, one more thing before we wrap things up. So it better be good. Uh, oh, <laughs> so, um, uh, Tara Burton's uh, conclusion, she starts by saying some things with numbers. Just 8% of white millennials identify as evangelical compared to 26% of seniors. Uh, the rising Generation Z, those born after 1997, might be the least religious yet. 34% of them say they're religiously unaffiliated. 13%, twice the rate of the general population, identify as atheists. 
And then the next line of her next paragraph is, and yet new gods are everywhere. <laughs> and that sums up the previous 200 pages of her book, because that's what she explores, all of these gods yeah. that people are looking to. And so, again, like you say, it's a it's really a magnificent opportunity for us. So any yeah. last thoughts before we bring this to a close? Yeah. Um, one thing I would say is is uh, I think our, our you know, the way the way we're wired, we, we want quick fix solutions we maybe want what's the practical takeaway that we can do tomorrow and you know in a year our church will be abounding with former nuns who have now made conversions but that's that's just not going to happen i don't think by and large um it's not as simple as you know telling your pastor to do a sermon series on issues that matter and all of a sudden we're gonna you know see revival break out i mean it's it's a long time right uh for me uh when i um joined the Freethinkers group, it was three or four years before um, uh, some of those folks attended an evangelistic Bible study that I led, mm. right? It was a long time, long conversations, getting to know, hearing their story and all that. And so my encouragement would be um, to, to value those moments and those conversations with friends, with neighbors, and really think about I'll say this again, your story. What has God done in your life? Have you been through um, a season of your own doubt? Have you rethought um, elements of your faith? Have you carried, uh, walked through seasons of grief or shame or whatever the case may be? Ha has God met you in those places? And if the answer is yes, then I think you have a powerful testimony and witness to people to see that belief in Jesus really makes a, a difference. Um, and to meet people in their space. And so that would be my big encouragement is to really reflect on your own story, what God has done in, in your life, and to think about then how can I, through relationship, through conversation, um, bring that to bear on maybe someone else's life. Nicely said. Very good. And a great place for us to wrap up. Um, uh, well, Ben, I'm so encouraged by my times with you. I really am. And I want to say to our listeners, um, yeah, there's plenty of things going on in our world that could be rather discouraging, but I am regularly uh, encouraged by um, people like Ben Hine and people of his age group. Uh, uh, God is raising up young men and women uh, in the seminary classes that I teach and other places where I, I teach that I, I think there's some great days ahead for the church. So. Um, uh, may the Lord encourage you, Ben, and uh, all the people yep. uh, in your age bracket, <laughs> whatever whatever demographic title we want to give that. Um, I'm very encouraged by that. And we certainly hope you listeners um, are encouraged by this, these podcasts, Questions That Matter, and all of our resources at the C.S. Lewis Institute. Please check out a couple of things we've put in the show notes below and um, many of the resources at our website. And may it be that God would continue to work so that you love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind.